The Being an Engineer podcast is a repository for industry knowledge and a tool through which engineers learn about and connect with relevant companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. Enjoy the show. I learned a long time ago, uh, even I think it was at EMD when we had a team of 20, um, th- those, those guys, our, our leaders at the time, would argue and just be at each other. And then they'd go out into the lunchroom and have coffee together right? They didn't take it personally. They just simply understood that they disagreed and they needed to get the job done. And uh, sometimes you got to make sure everybody understands your point, but you can't take it personal. It's uh, just part of the process. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Being an Engineer podcast. Our guest today is Paul Schaffner, who is the Director of Test Development at Benchmark Electronics, a global engineering design, manufacturing, test and supply chain service provider focused on the field of electronics. Paul has spent over 30 years becoming an expert at in-circuit test and functional test development, as well as automated device inspection. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, Paul, you, you graduated with a degree in physics. Uh, did you know from the, from the get-go what you wanted to do with that degree? I really didn't know. I, I knew that electronics and the physical world was, was pretty interesting to me, um, but, and, I, and I wanted to know more about that, right? Um, I'm, I'm sort of a, a homebody from a small rural town, uh, less than a thousand people. I, I think it's less than eight hundred today, right? So it's pretty small. Oh, wow. Yeah, a good family friend, I, I think, recognized maybe some potential in me and, and urged me to go to a local school, um, one known as State University, right? And uh, it's, it was near my my hometown, so that was that was pretty easy. He's actually a professor at Winona State, though it didn't wasn't directly in my educational path. Um, but but I I chose physics right away and I stuck with it. Engineering, electrical engineering, wasn't an option at uh, Winona State, so I chose physics, and it, it really I think matched uh, my level of curiosity at the time. Interesting. So if uh, if electrical engineering had been an option, do you think that might have been the route that you took? Yeah, ab- absolutely. That that's more likely the route I would have taken, and I I would have. Uh, not necessarily been better off because I really liked my my physics background. And um, uh, during the course of your education, you know, you're you're becoming um, uh, you're getting your degree in physics. Uh, did you did you at some point think to yourself, uh, I want to go work for a large electronics manufacturer, or were you still kind of not really sure what the future was going to hold after graduation? You know, I absolutely didn't know, and I, in fact, I was somewhat a Afraid that I'd have to go work at Fermilab down in Chicago because that's what physicists <laughs> do, right? You know, so I, I didn't know the other options. I actually interviewed for a position in Florida as a, as a, uh, I guess, a, a electrical tech for a museum. That intrigued me, right? Because I could huh. play with all of the interactive uh, games and tools that were in a museum, right? Uh, and I even interviewed for it and decided I just didn't want to move all the way to Florida at that time. So. It uh, it's, it was really a kind of a tumultuous uh, time to make decisions. 
Okay. Well, fast forward until present day, and you have uh, you currently hold the, the role of director of test development at Benchmark Electronics. Can you take just a few minutes and, and kind of share with us the progression um, of your career through this point? You know, what what was your role when you you first started there, and what are some of the different roles that that you've held over the years? Sure. Yeah, I had I advanced pretty conservatively and, and probably just at a slow pace like I should. I didn't, I, I wasn't rushed through any of the programs or the, the roles, and I think that's probably made me a stronger person. Um, I actually started as a technician despite having the, the four-year degree. There was an te- electrical tech position open, and, and that's, what I, that's where I started. So I quickly moved into an engineering position uh, with a lot of hands-on building and testing. Uh, back in that time, we used... Uh, you know, a lot of perf boards and wire wraps uh, to to try out new circuits. Nowadays, you just go, you know, order up a PCB, and, and three days later, you have your PCB, and you can try a new circuit, right? So things have changed. I worked as a lead engineer in that engineering role, and then as a project manager, um, and then I moved more into people leadership as a as a team lead, and I think I really excelled there. I, I get along with people, and 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 I think that that was a good step for me. Um, you know, looking back, I worked as a, in the test development area pretty much all the while. You know, back before test development was cool. It's cool now. I, yeah, I absolutely. Haven't you heard? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm glad to hear that. I just didn't know that that had made its way through the through the yeah. ranks. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, you've worked for Benchmark for over 30 years now, which I thought was really interesting because these days you, you just, you don't find people that work for one company for that long. And it made me wonder what, what, what has Benchmark done or, or what has your experience been like to convince you to stay with one company for that long? You know, I've, I've actually thought about this quite a bit since it was kind of a big anniversary, right? And there's a number of reasons. Um, not, not sure which is the, is the most compelling, but, um, the ride from that technician position to director has been filled with ups and downs, but mostly up and to the right as a past manager always led us. He's like, up and to the right, that's where we're going. Um, so I, I feel that I've been treated fairly and I'm satisfied, um, such that I didn't need to jump ship to get ahead, right? It was, like I said, a kind of an easygoing, uh, forward direction that, that was satisfying. I, I do take a lot of uh, pride in the company growth. When I started, I was part of a team of 300. That's actually what we call ourselves, a team of 300 at EMD. Um, and after the acquisition by Benchmark Electronics, along with a number of other acquisitions, now I'm a team of a th- of 10,000. So I, I feel enough responsibility in, in what I've done in my, my job and my leadership position that I believe I had something to do with that growth, um, at least on the test services side. And that's that's cool. Uh, in, in the end, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working within 12 miles of where I grew up. So that's, that's probably equally, um, as unlikely for, for most, most people or unusual for most people. Um, I'm here in the Mississippi River Valley, which is just beautiful. It's rural. Uh, most of my siblings are still nearby. It's, it's home to me. And yet Minneapolis is within two hours. So it's just a easy way to, uh, to get away as well from the Minneapolis airport and such. And my, my wife and family have done a lot of seeing the world. I, I don't want to make it sound like I haven't seen the world just because I, I grew up here and I've stayed here. Um, we've we've been to a lot of fun places as a family and, and just my wife and I. So it's it's, like I said, a number of reasons. 
My goodness, Paul, listening to you, I, I, I'm getting really jealous. It sounds like you just have this enchanted life. You get to grow up and stay in the same place and you live by, you know, in a beautiful area and you've traveled and you've worked for a wonderful company. I, you're, you're a lucky man. I, I feel that way. I, like I said, I feel satisfied and, and lucky. It's things are, things are going well right now. Well, um, I've, I've read, um, uh, you know, in books here and there or listened in podcasts to, uh, why people stay with the companies that, that they work with. And, um, something that's come up over and over is that people don't necessarily quit their jobs. They, they quit their, their managers or sometimes they, they quit their teams. Um, uh, and you yourself are a manager right now, but over the years, I'm sure that you've worked, you know, under several managers. And can you share what are some of the things that, that your managers have done, or maybe as importantly, some of the things that they didn't do that made you want to continue being part of the benchmark team? Yeah, sure. I, that's, that's a really good question. I, I've reflected on it a lot. Um, each time my role has changed, I think it's caused me to reflect on that, that very question. Um, with every role that I've been through, uh, that I've transitioned from technician to, to management staff and, and such, the benchmark leadership has always supported me, I'm going to say, through empowerment. And, and I know it sounds a bit cliched, right? But, uh, I don't even know if I could have described what that word meant until I really felt it in my new roles. Um, so, of course, I know my responsibilities of what I have to do and what my team has to do, um, performance-based, right? But there's there's never been too much rigidity on how I need to accomplish that. So as long as I have that, uh, some give and take and, and flexibility on how I need to to meet the metrics, I've, I've really enjoyed that, that the value of empowerment. Um, so... You know, with some lack of humbleness, I recognize that this approach probably doesn't work for everyone. Um, but I like putting creativity first and, and trying to find a, a different way to do things, right? I'm not the guy who's going to settle for the same way it's always been done. I say, well, I think we could do that cheaper, faster, better, smarter, this way or that way. And uh, like I said, management has allowed me to to try different things. And it's, it's really worked. I, I believe it's worked well for me and, and fits my management style. That's, that's a big deal. Um, I think purpose and autonomy are really important for, um, keeping team members motivated, right? That they need to have a purpose to work towards and they need to have the autonomy to, uh, to drive themselves towards, towards that goal. Um, can you think of any specific experiences that you've had? And, and maybe it wasn't an experience of, of you working under a manager. Maybe it was an experience that, that you, empowered one of your team members but but where um you or someone on your team was given that that empowerment and uh the the result was just you know something really beneficial to the team well i i think something the, the best example we have is the standards that we have for test development um right now a benchmark there's, there was no standards uh you know, per se, before we formed an official test team, uh, which I led. And, and now we've got a, a couple testers. One's called the edge tester. One's called the target tester. And one's called the step one tester. And those are standard platforms that, that we've developed as, as a team from our experiences. So now the engineers can, can start with a, a platform instead of starting from scratch each time. And that's what we were doing. We were, every time we had a new uh, test solution, we had to start from ground zero and build custom circuits and pick power supplies and, and such. 
Um, now we've got these platforms um, uh, as, a, as a starting point, and they've become really, you know, the image of, of benchmark test development. They're in every presentation I make to a customer, um, they're, they're uh, proven successful, and uh, we continue to use them, you know, today, 15, 15 years later. How much of an impact do you think that has made on your customers' confidence in your team, seeing that you're not starting from scratch, you have this platform, this process that, that you've proven over and over, yeah, and maybe you need to tweak or alter that process for their specific application, but you have a starting point. Yeah, I think I've I've gained uh, confidence through presenting those solutions to our customers. And, and what I mean by that is I remember some of the first times I was put in front of, of customers as 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 a newer employee and I was shaking my shoes, right? It was it was it was quite challenging. Um now with the the, the looks from our customers, the feedback from our customers, the, the buy-in to those platforms. I've just got a, a complete sense of confidence. I can step in front of a customer now and say, "This is what we have to offer. We know it works. It, we've used it many times. You know, it, there's success behind it." Uh, with that level of confidence, it's it's a lot easier to sell. That's fantastic. Uh, it it makes me um, remember an experience I had back when I was a very young engineer. I'd probably only been in the field a year or two, maybe. And we had one of our, our biggest customers at the time. This is not when I was um, uh, at Pipeline. This was uh, before Pipeline when, when I worked for a different company. But uh, we had a, a, a medical device customer. We were developing this this device for him. And he was a, a physician inventor. <clears throat> and he wasn't local. He was he was in a different state. And, but he would fly in every now and then. And we'd kind of have a powwow and show him what we'd been doing and, and the progress that we'd made. And there was a, a technically very challenging problem that we were trying to solve. And uh, so we would be mostly working in the lab. We'd come up with a design, we'd prototype it, and we'd test it, and and uh, um, and then move on to the next test. But he flew in this one, one time, and it was me and another engineer, and I think our, our project manager was sitting there, and this physician inventor. And uh, the doctor looked at me and and we'd been talking about some of the the testing we were doing in the lab and and uh he he said so you know do you like this and i wasn't exactly sure what he meant and i said you mean do you like tinkering in the lab <laughs> and he was like no no do you do you like the general you know road that you you all have been taking i'm sure he heard that tinkering the lab what am i paying these people to do but um like like you said is uh as you gain more experience and you start to have confidence in your own processes those conversations become much easier to have absolutely uh, well, your your focus is and has been through most of your career centered around manufacturing test processes. Um, can can you tell us a little bit about you know like what is a, a day in the life of your team like? What, what are what activities you know to some level of granularity? What 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 are you doing each day? So you know it's it's uh it's not obvious to everyone what manufacturing test means and. And part of the confusion starts right with, uh, you know, Benchmark is a, a manufacturing company, right? Yet we have design services, so there's there's some confusion there. Um, people might think of automated X-ray or automated uh, optical inspection systems, and of course we use those tools, but that's not what my team does. Um, and there's also a lot of confusion because we have the design services. So do you do software testing? Do you do hardware testing? Every time I, you know, I open a position up, 
10 software engineers apply for it and say, I know how to do software testing. And that's not what we do, right? That's not what we do. Uh, we focus on testing product that's, that's in manufacturing. Uh, the, 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 we build test solutions to test every electronic product that, that's built before it ships. So we don't do audit testing and such. We do 100% test of circuit boards and devices. Uh, and my team builds testers to make sure that that's accomplished. Um, so we use tools like InCircuit for sure and, and test uh, and boundary scan test for sure. But most of the team is focused on functional test where you're actually powering up the board, powering up the device and making sure that it's, it's uh, functioning the way it's supposed to be functioning. Uh, we, we try to do that in an um, automated method as much as possible. So we're using software tools like LabVIEW and TestStand and we're using um, a, a number of uh, automated instruments for making measurements. Uh, the last thing we would want is an operator sitting at a bench actually with you know DMM leads and making a measurement to manufacturing. That's not manufacturing test. That's DVT and EVT test, right? Mm, so, um, good we're, distinction. We're def yeah, definitely, uh, uh, you know, different than what a lot of people think about when they hear the word test. Yeah. Um, so my company, Pipeline, we do, you know, a lot of test equipment ourselves. We don't do the actual testing, but we develop the equipment. Um, some of our favorite tools and hardware for, for doing these are things like bearings and machined aluminum or Delrin or stainless steel, um, linear actuators and, and motors and sensors. And we do quite a bit of 3D printing as well. Your testing is, is of course, much more focused on electrical systems. What, what are some of the electrical analogs, you know, kind of the, the favorites that your team goes back to time and time again for electronic test development? Um, yeah, well, first I want to say we use all those things that you just mentioned as well, right? Our mechanical test fixtures are, are, are made by and designed by companies like Pipeline, right? And, and we use motors and, and gears and stuff in our, in our test solutions. Um, on the analog side of the analog of the, of that to electronics is we are using automated measurement instruments, uh, leveraging interfaces like USB and PCIe and PXI. Uh, we take the direction to automate manufacturing solutions as much as feasible because we've got a budget and a schedule, of course. Um, but we really, we always want to create that level of automation. Well, this is probably a good time for me to take just a short break and share with everyone that testfixturedesign.com is where listeners can go to learn a little bit more about my company, Pipeline Design and Engineering, and uh, how our team helps predominantly medical device engineering teams, but other manufacturing and engineering teams as well, who need turnkey custom test fixtures or automated equipment to assemble, inspect, characterize, or perform verification or validation testing on their devices. And uh, we have the the great fortune to speak with Paul Schaffner today, Director of Test Development at Benchmark Electronics. Um, Paul, can, can you share with us maybe what is one of the biggest successes and failures that, that you've had in your career? And what did you learn from those experiences? I, I guess I, I feel I played a big part in, in the formation of what's now become a mature test team. Um, when I started, uh, the engineer who wasn't doing a product design got to work on a tester, you know, and, and at, that time, at that time it was kind of a dubious honor, right? Um, today the test team is, is an experienced team, a, a large team with a standard set of tools and a lot of know-how uh, ready to get our customer products to market more quickly. 
And, and that's our goal, right? Our, that's what I tell our customers. The faster and better we help our customers, the more successful Benchmark is as a whole. And, and I feel like I've been part of that success to, to build that team up, to give our, our customer you know, the tools and the resources and as far as people goes to get their product to market faster. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's good for both our customer as well as Benchmark. How, how, did, um, how did the creation of that team start? Was this something that, that you spearheaded or you know, the, did management come down and say, we, th- we think we need this test team. Um, who's going who's gonna to lead the development of this team? How did that ha- happen? Well, Aaron, it wasn't last week, so <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was kind of a it was kind of a slow start. You know, gradually a few people were focused more on tests, and and these people were dedicated just to test instead of you know a, a, a schmear across uh, uh, product design and tests. So once we had a group realize, we said, hey, well, these group this group should be formalized and and should be using a s- standards and such to uh, to be able to accomplish that task a little more cleanly and and, and quickly. Um, you know, at first it wasn't obvious that a test engineer might be different than a product engineer. And uh, once you start labeling some of the tools that are needed and, and uh, you know, templates such for documentation, they are, they are really quite different. And, and once we realized that, we said, hey, this is, this is really two separate groups. Interesting. Well, um, uh, I guess along that same vein, you, you, you've led... Um, uh, or you currently lead a team of, of over 35 um, team members. And part of your responsibilities have been hiring those members, right? Building the team. Um, are, are there questions that you like asking during interviews that have, have proven to be effective in identifying the right people for your teams? Um, well, I'm not sure about specific questions, but we really like to find like-minded people who fit into our devir- environment, Right. But then we also like people with new and different ideas. And so the challenge is, of course, those two are in conflict with each other quite often, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the perfect candidate has great new ideas as well as fits into our environment. Um, and, and we actually, you know, consider things like, well, we're in Minnesota and we have winter. <laughs> you know, that, that's not for everyone. We're, we're, you know, very rural here, very outdoorsy here. And uh, people who enjoy that sort of aspect in their, in their spare time, and and fit in technically are, are very good candidates. So for hiring a a position requiring experience, uh, we look for manufacturing test background. As I already mentioned before, that's not the same as a hardware verification or software verification background. Um, it's it's really different for manufacturing tests. So I I look at resumes that specifically call out manufacturing tests. Also, uh, because of the, the the connection between the mechanical solution uh, in a tester, the software solution. In a tester, it it's really helps if you have an aptitude in multiple areas. Um, so I've I've been looking at more at some general engineering degrees rather than a specifically a hardware engineer or, or electrical engineer. Um, and if you've got a hobby um, like repairing cars or or, or a farming background, um, and you are used to take stuff apart and put it back together and it worked better than it did before, um, you know you've got a leg up. For sure, I'll, I'll I'll definitely want to talk to you. <laughs> uh, I, I love that you say that. I have heard that same sentiment uh, so many times from hiring managers. You know, if if you grew up on a farm or if you grew up taking cars apart and putting them back together, if you you know grew up building things with your hands, that's such a huge advantage. And then the other thing I've heard that you just mentioned is that um, more and more in the industry, we're looking for 
not specialists, but generalists, you know, engineers that have a more diverse background. Maybe they're not, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest expert in one certain field, but they're pretty good at a, a wide variety of different things. It, it sounds like that has been something that's been useful for your team members. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it is because it's the, the integration of a tester is not just software. It's not just LabVIEW, right? It's not just a hardware, a custom circuit design. It's a lot of different uh, um, uh, specialties pulled together that allows us to bring a tester up and running. Yeah. Um, uh, over the years, as you've worked with new engineers um, entering the industry and, and the uh, benchmark your company, um, I imagine that you've seen some some trends within uh, education and how these these junior engineers were prepared. Can you speak a little bit to um, kind of what what kinds of of uh, trends you've seen in engineering education over the years? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I think the engineer, engineering education has certainly changed in content. Um, I can tell from the, from the new grads coming in. Um, I think the engineers are less focused on theory and more focused on getting available parts just to work, to assemble and put them together. And I'm not sure that's a really a bad thing. Um, I, it's just a change, right? Um, I think design engineers are learning more on the job since so many of the solutions are, are focused by companies. So, um, well, uh, for example, one of my son's friends uh, works at a medical device company. Um, he was talking about his his job and what he does. He's focused solely on noise suppression in the medical device arena. So you don't really take a class on that, right? Yeah. They might teach you some generic information about that noise suppression and such, but you don't take a class on that. So I think if our uh, you know the students coming out of school have to have a good basis, they have to have a good understanding of a, of you know, electronics or, or software and such, but then they really, uh, you know, learn on the job, maybe even more than before, uh, maybe not, but but I, I certainly think uh, our engineers are. Um, for, for test development, I, and I don't intend to put anyone down, um, the engineering is kind of at a different level. If you have an aptitude for those, those uh, areas I keep mentioning, electronics, software, integration, you can certainly find a place in, in test development. We do a lot of on-the-job training, for sure, um, and it's it's mostly how to use the, the tools of the trade, not so much test theory. It's how to put these instruments together and, and make a measurement. Uh, we, we talked briefly earlier about how uh, test development and testing, that's that's a cool industry, right? We think so. <laughs> I, I am going to go out on a limb and say that uh, for students who are in engineering, maybe test development, test design is not something that immediately comes to mind as being, uh, A, just like uh, generally something that could be pursued, and B, maybe not the, the sexiest um, part of engineering, right? People are might be interested in, I want to work at, at Tesla, or I want to work, work at SpaceX, and kind of these these sexier companies. Um, honestly, to me, I, I really like test machine development i think it's it's fascinating it's like a puzzle but what would what would you say to an engineer who who might be interested in pursuing uh test development why why is it an interesting or fulfilling um uh role to hold within engineering you know that's the, you're right that's exactly uh a, an angle that i i play when i'm um interviewing people right there's 
I tell them that they get to build something that they can see come to fruition. They get to write the software. They get to develop some custom circuits for it, work with the mechanical um, design of that of that product as well. And it's essentially a little product that they get to see to come to fruition in 14 to 16 weeks instead of six months or eight months. And, and then it goes to market and you can't touch it after that. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a, difference in a different schedule, I guess, right? Um, and they get to mess with all aspects of it. Um, so I, I like to encourage, uh, the, the, especially the new grads, that you're going to get to build something just like this um, and, and, and then move on to something else that's just like this, and they're really cool. Um, I, I guess I will point out also that um, that Benchmark is, we're, we're working in a lot of different uh, types of uh, products and industries all the time, so you're not, you're not pegged to only work on uh, uh, a heart defibrillator, right? You, one day you might see that, and your next project might might be a commercial thermometer, uh, thermostat device, right? Or it's just really a variety of products, and you don't get that if you settle in a Tesla and just build cars or just focus on batteries. So it's it's a, definitely a selling point, the variety. I think that's a really excellent point. I sometimes ask my own team, "What do you like about working here at Pipeline? You know, why is it that you're still here?" And one of the most common answers I get is because we get to work on so many different things. You know, we're not doing the same thing over and over and over. It's always a different project. And and the pace of change of these projects is pretty quick. It's rare that we'll work on the same project for, you know, more than four, five, six months. Usually our projects are two, three, four months, something like that. Um, I, I remember when I was uh, working at, at another company and it was the same medical device project actually. And it was probably, it was, I want to say it was two and a half years, something like that. Uh, and, and towards the end, man, I, I kind of ran out of, of steam there. Just working on the same thing for that long got to be kind of a drag. Um, so I think there's a lot to be said for getting to work in a field that allows you to do something different every two to three months. Maybe it's, it's the same general category of work, but it's a different project with, you know, different nuances and different subtle challenges each time. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I, 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 we, we talked about degrees and, and university, and I think a technical degree, um, it provides a, a really nice foundation for young engineers to learn. But in my experience, um, and this is speaking me personally as well as, as others I've observed, it doesn't really equip uh, new engineers to do what I'll term, quote unquote, real world work right out of school. And to, to really become a contributing member of the company, there's there's no replacement for direct hands-on working experience. Um, what what role do you think does a company like Benchmark play in, in this type of engineering education? So I we, we do have, a I think, a responsibility to work with schools to make sure that the, the students coming out of the schools are, are, are meeting our needs, right? So we've got a couple of relationships I wish we had uh, developed actually earlier. So we're working now with uh, Winona State, um, engineering students as well as University of Wisconsin Stout engineering program. So I'm, um, I'm sitting on a couple of um, advisory boards there and they're asking for capstone projects, for example. Um, so we, we try to figure out some capstone projects uh, that would be interesting for the students and good for us, right? And we get free engineering, right? Um, yeah, you have to realize, of course, that uh, those projects, uh, well, first of all, they may not work out. They may or may not work out. And uh, they, they have a schedule that might not work for you. You can't ask for something that you need in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, you got you got a school timeline to, to, to work with. But um, so 
we've given some advice on on class content, and we work with the this, these these capstone projects um, as as in an advisory role. And I think that that relationship is, has grown um, quite a bit over the last couple of years, and it needs to continue. Yeah, I agree. Um, the earlier we can give students an opportunity to do hands-on work, the, the better it's going to be for them and ultimately for the industry. Um, I, I spent, uh, I took the five-year uh, track myself and for my undergraduate degree. Um, and I don't remember a whole lot about individual classes, but I do remember my capstone project. We're, uh, we had to develop a, a sand auger for the army. And uh, I, I remember going out and doing field testing. I remember building things in the lab. I remember uh, I remember a lot from that project that and I just don't remember a whole lot from the individual coursework. So I think not only is it more interesting and, and, and useful for um, uh, the students, but it's also a lot more memorable. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what. What would today's Paul tell yourself back when you were a brand new engineer that you wish you had known back then? Um, well, life in your job is probably not going to go as, as you expect, <laughs> uh, especially right now. I think we can all relate to that. Um, you know, do your best. And I would say do your very best and people will notice. Uh, hang in there and know that you will be better prepared for the next bump when it, when it comes along. Um, and and of course, do what you love. Uh, work can be tedious, and and you can it, it, you can get bored by your work. Um, so shop around a little bit. Uh, when you when you find something that you really enjoy, uh, I encourage you to stick with it for thirty years. Uh, the benefits of you know are great experiences, uh, respect, uh, friendships, and 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 I'm sure there's more. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for doing something for a long time. Um, uh, when I, I got, I got laid off from my first job. Uh, maybe it had something to do with, uh, the, the, uh, running out of steam that I mentioned there. But before I started pipeline, I was thinking about completely different avenues. I, I looked at commercial real estate. I actually did web design for a while. I did photography for a while. And then I finally came back and said, yeah, engineering is probably worth doing it. And I'm really glad I did because there's, there's a momentum that you build up over time when you're doing the same thing. And if you jump off to something completely different, you lose all that momentum. And for something as important as a career, I mean, it, it takes years to begin developing that momentum. So the ability to stick with something for a long time, I think is, is really important for, um, for, for, you know, this career. Yep. Absolutely. Well, uh, can you share a couple of habits, uh, if any come to mind, that, that maybe you've developed over the years that have proven to be useful to you? Um, sure. Um, probably uh, the one that's, the, the thing I do most often is, is I work on my to-do list. I'm definitely a to-do list guy. Um, I've, I've got a to-do list for, for personal and I've got a to-do list for work. Um, and just about every morning I, I, I log in and I, I look at my to-do list and, and I jot something down. And then I realize that my to-do lists aren't just to-do lists. They're more like journals. <laughs> so they're, they're more like ideas. Um, what if I just did this? Or what if I want to try that? Or pictures of things that maybe I, I should work on someday um, if I have time. So 
uh, I'll, I'll jot down things that did work or didn't work. So really, again, my to-do lists are, are a little bit more like a journal. And I think that's really important to kind of keep focus on, on, on the future. It, 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 I can always look ahead at that list. If I'm, I'm bored on a Thursday afternoon and, and, and want to fill my day, I can look at that list and say, oh, I'll just work on this, this idea. Um, so it's not so much driving me from a day-to-day uh, to-do list point of view as much as it is a, a forward-looking, uh, don't dwell on the past, just figure out how we can fix this or do this differently and, and do this better. Um, other, other things I might notice, I, I think it's important that you talk to your manager. Um, I really think that if you're uh, not sharing with him what you've been working on, he may or may not know what you're working on. And and if you're if you're a good worker, you're probably working on something important, probably something that's contributing to the to the company. So make sure you share that with with your manager. Um, we've got some new grads here. Uh, I'd like to hire new grads, and and I would in, always encourage a new grad to get help. Don't waste time. Don't waste schedules. You know, time is money in our business. So uh, go get help as, as soon as you feel you need it. Uh, of course, you don't you don't want to. Uh, burden your your mentor and and be asking for help unless you've already um, done your uh, appropriate research but don't sit too long at, in your cube and, and and not make progress if just because you're too shy to ask for help so um yeah i think those are good points that's great i i think the um the the list comment you made that's such a powerful idea it it almost feels like kind of a boring idea right like what wh- what are some great habits that that you've developed well i like to create lists and but it's so important and it can be so powerful i myself am a big list maker as well um i live and die based on my to-do lists my checklists and uh and I I carry um well I carry my my smartphone of course with me everywhere. Uh, do people even call them smartphones anymore? Probably <laughs> not. I'd probably just sound old by using that term. My phone, and I use OneNote, and so it, it's always with me, right? I just pop it out, and um, oh, I I need to do this OneNote or Airtable is another really great tool I've used for making and tracking lists. What um, do you, do you use any software solutions for your list, or are you a, a pen and paper guy? Yeah, no, I just I just use a Google Doc, and uh, you know I might even scribble on my my list for for groceries or something on that on that same list, right? And it's just it's it's uh, ubiquitously available. I can yes. I can pull it up on my phone, I can pull it up at work, I can pull it up at home, and they're all synced up, so it, it really works well. And I was gonna say, if somebody told me you should you should keep a journal, I'd say nah, that's too much work. <laughs> <laughs> and yet here I am, <laughs> journaling my day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the uh, ubiquitous availability, that's another really important tool, I think, uh, as far as your, your list solution goes. You want it to be available everywhere because when inspiration strikes, you don't want to have to, ah, I don't have, I don't have my list with me. You know, I, I'll try and remember it, but inevitably you forget. So yeah. having it available wherever you are is really important. Um, I, I'd love to talk just a little bit about how, how tasks are assigned at Benchmark because we have a very specific process at Pipeline for how we create and assign tasks to our engineers. Um, you mentioned, Paul, that it's really important for engineers to talk to their managers and, and make sure their managers are aware of, of what they're doing. And it made me think about, okay, well, what, what is the process that, that your team uses for um, identifying the, the projects and then the tasks that need to be accomplished and then assigning those to engineers? 
Sure. So we've got, uh, you know, on the front end, we've got a whole quoting process uh, until a project actually comes to fruition. But once it's in fruition, we uh, we work with our resource manager to say assign a, a technical resource and another uh, resource manager assigns a project management resource. And the two of them work together hand in hand to uh, stay on the, on the right track. So our resource manager, for example, does not give direction every day on a project. The project manager gives direction every day on a project. Um, you know, we use uh, some high-level tools, uh, a, a tool called Daptive, uh, just renamed to something else. Um, but it's that's used for charging time against the project and making a high-level uh, assignment. But on a daily or a weekly basis, it's uh, communication between the project manager and the technical resources on that project to say, well, today we are going to work on this. Uh, you know, I, we think this has to be done by next Tuesday. Is that okay? Is that going to happen? So those those scrum type meetings um, are happening between the project manager and the, the lead, uh, all the, the technical resources. Okay, so it's it's a technical resource, maybe an engineer and a project manager that work together. That's yes. how it works. Yep. Okay, and those and the two are they're Go managed ahead, independently. They're managed independently. There's a project management team and a technical test team. Got it. Okay. And, and they're having conversations basically daily. Uh, yeah, as needed, right? Some projects are daily. Some projects are maybe every other week, depending on the speed of the, the project and the work getting done. Okay. And how, how is progress measured? How do you know where, when your, your technical resource has completed the task or has, has been successful with the task? Um, there's a, a series of phase gates. So we've, we've got a, a seven step process that we go through as, as far as an initial requirements gathering, design and build and verification and such. But there's a, there's a phase gate checklist at the end of each of those phases. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I'm very interested in how other companies, uh, handle task management and just overall workflow processes, things like that. Um, what, what are one or two of the biggest challenges that you have at work? I think, uh, if I think back on, on the challenges I've had, and interestingly enough, they're very rarely technical. <laughs> you know, they're more often challenges with people. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way, um, cause we're all driven by different goals and, and stimuli, right? So we all act act differently to achieve the goals that we've been given. So, you know, I, I think people act in different ways because they have different sets of goals and, and, and just different personalities and such. Um, but it is, it is challenging, right? So there's, there's the demanding person, there's the delusional person and, and, and the person that you swear has dementia already. Right. <laughs> um, but, but they're all working with a purpose and they, and they need to figure out how, how we, how to work together with every one of those personality types. I, I really don't think anybody has dementia. It just seems that way. Right. So I think that, um, we just have to figure out how to, how to get along with them. Um, and that's, that's can be challenging, but that's, you know, that's part of the job. That's a huge part of the job, right? There's the technical aspect, but then there's the, the, the people aspect, the soft skills aspect. And for me, honestly, I, I would rather work with someone who's pretty good technically, but really a, just a joy to work with than someone who's exceptionally good technically, but is just kind of a jerk. Um, what, what are some of the, the tools or strategies that, that you have used to, um, you know, uh, get along well with others, to, to work well with your, your technical team? 
Well, I'm married and I have two kids. It <laughs> 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 was the practice run there, right? So there um, you go. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, uh, I, like I said, I, I think I'm decent with people. I, I often use uh, uh, comedy and, and, I, and I like to, uh, um, you know, be nice to people and stay on their good side, right? And it's, it's just, it's not necessarily devious. It's just part of the strategy, right? Tim? We, we help each other out and, and we recognize that, uh, uh, once in a while, we we don't agree on things. I, I learned a long time ago. Uh, even I think it was at EMD when we had a team of twenty. Um, th- those those guys are are leaders at the time would argue and just be at each other, and then they'd go out into the lunchroom and have coffee together. Right? They didn't take it personally. They just simply understood that they disagreed and they needed to get the job done. And uh, sometimes you got to make sure everybody understands your point, but you can't take it personal. It's uh, just part of the process. Uh, excellent. Great, great advice. Well, Paul, um, I appreciate so much you spending some time with us today and, and sharing your experience and insights and wisdom. Uh, before I let you go, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, probably best uh, way is to just send a, an email at paul.schaffner, S-C-H-A-F-F-N-E-R at bench.com. And I suspect that'll be in the podcast notes. Um, I'm in uh, Minnesota Central Time. You can kind of keep that in mind if you're looking for a response. But yeah, I'm happy to uh, to reach out uh, to to anyone or talk to anyone who reaches out to me. Excellent, Paul. Thank you so much. Yep, absolutely. It's been fun. Thanks, Aaron. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. It really helps other people find the show. To learn how your engineering team can leverage our team's expertise in developing turnkey custom test fixtures, automated equipment, and product design, visit us at testfixturedesign.com. Thanks for listening.